Boundaryless Kayak Fishing Podcast with your host, Mark Goodrow. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Sorry, it's been a little while. I'm just trying to deal with this coronavirus and figure out how to navigate and start working from home and keeping the baby occupied and keeping everybody happy and healthy and hope everybody's doing the same and staying healthy out there and getting all your fishing gear ready for the season coming up. Um, it's a good time to stay at home, get everything ready, and uh, you'll be ready to hit the water hard here pretty soon. Anyways, we got a pretty good episode ahead of us. Today's going to be all about kayak fishing safety. So this is something that really becomes a big player early in the season when you have those cold water temperatures. Um, you know, you get some hotter days mixed in there, but sometimes that kind of gives you some, so- some, you know, self-confidence that really uh, shouldn't be there this early in the season. So it's important to be prepared, uh, let people know your plan to go out, where you're planning to go, and, uh, you know, fishing with a buddy if you can. And really just just being smart, being safe, and planning ahead of, uh, of your trip. So anyways, we'll get into that in a second. First of all, uh, we'll go through our normal weekly list here. Uh, today's verse is Deuteronomy 31.8. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So just good word there um, from Deuteronomy. The next we'll get into is kayak news. Um, probably the biggest thing I've seen come out in the last month or so is this whole um, the whole cheating scandal. And if you haven't listened to uh, Minnesota Kayak Fishing Association's podcast, the MNKFA, um, he does a good job breaking down, kind of addressing that uh, a little bit with the cheating scandals. But, um, you know, it's just something that, in this sport really shouldn't be an issue at all. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what some of the tournament circuits do to prevent some of this cheating from happening. You got guys that are, you know, cutting boards in half and then gluing them back together or plastic welding them back together. And the big picture that people have seen a lot recently is a guy that's kind of bending his board, um, from the side gunnel downwards and you know maybe it's taken off half an inch to an inch or so um just by bending his hog trough um and then you have some guys that have gone uh really extreme measures which really uh, i think he's getting fined you know around twenty thousand dollars or something so people are starting to take it a lot more seriously which is good but um you know one guy actually cut the fish in half straight down the middle um, cut out like a one inch section of the fish and then put his hand over it while he was taking a picture for, you know, CPR method, the catch photo release that most tournaments use. Um, so we'll see how this kind of changes uh, tournament rules. Uh, really don't see much of a need for change, but I know everybody is starting to check boards before tournaments and then after tournaments. Um, but hopefully, hopefully everybody's playing by the rules. We don't really run into those issues, um, you know, especially with kayak fishing. It's relatively small payouts for the time being, and it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be more of a community uh, rather than those larger, um, you know, bass fishing circuits and things like that, which now those all have tournament directors in each boat and everything like that, which obviously uh, you can't really do in kayak fishing. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, Anyways, the lure of the episode is going to be the drop shot. Um, You know, the drop shot is a really interesting rig. It's something that's really come around strong in the last, I don't know, four years or so. Um, Being here from Minnesota, you hear people on the lax hitting smallmouth uh, on drop shot, and they're just wailing on them. Um, So if you don't know what the drop shot lure is, essentially you tie on... um, usually more of a finesse bait. It could be a little plastic swim bait, you know, a little three inch or four inch swim bait, or maybe a a worm. Um, 
it's a lighter plastic typically that can hang horizontally um, in the water column. And then what you do is you leave a tag end on your line, or if you go with some of those, they have special hooks that they make for the drop shot that kind of have a swivel in the top area to tie, and then you can tie a string off the bottom. Um, but you leave around a foot of line, uh, and that can vary. I mean, you can do a short drop shot where you're talking only six to eight inches, or you can go a little longer, or go 12, 15, 18 inches off the bottom. It really depends on where you want that bait to sit. Um, but essentially what you're doing um, is you're leaving that tag end and then you're putting on a drop shot weight, which is typically either more of a long cylindrical type weight or a little teardrop shaped weight. And um, it has a little uh, clasp on the bottom that you just tie a little knot on your line and you pinch it uh, on that weight. And that way you can slide different weights on uh, if you need a different weight. Uh, or you can quickly adjust the length of that line, uh, tail end line. And really what that's doing is changing the depth of the lure. So you can, uh, you can imagine the top line to the lure and then another line down to the weight. And so if you leave that tag in six inches, your bait is going to be sticking about six inches off from the bottom. Um, same if you leave it a foot, your bait will sit about a foot off the bottom. So it's a really great way to pinpoint exactly how high you're running that uh, lure off the bottom of the water. So it's very similar to jigging. Uh, so you know you kind of throw it out. You can let it sit there and you can work it because you do have a, a weight in place there. If you have a little heavier weight, uh, you can prevent the need to even move it. Um, some people drop it right below their kayak or their boat. Some people you cast out and then you can just kind of work it in place if, you, if you're really spot fishing there. Um, or if you're trying to cover a little bit of water, you can also hop it too, uh, which is another great method. So um, a lot of times I'll actually wacky rig a Senko or soft uh, plastic stick bait. And that's a lot of times how I'll drop shot. Um, but it's great, it gets it off the bottom. So depending on your bottom structure, this is a great way if you know fish are hanging around, you know, in that bottom layer, either, either feeding off the bottom or, you know, down in that lower zone of the water column, this is a really great way to target those fish. Um, it gives them a little something different than just a jig and a crawfish hanging off the bottom. Uh, it looks like a little bait fish just hanging, you know, foot off the bottom and they'll just come in and just grab it. Um, but yeah, you can cast it in, work it in the same spot with just slack, just leave a fair amount of slack in the line. And you know you can work it as uh, fast as you want um, or just let the water do the work and you can kind of sit, sit there and hang on and let the water kind of provide the action to the lure, which is really kind of a finesse method that a lot of people are catching them on. Um, or like I said, you can take pretty big hops and then the fish is just kind of seeing that lure move through the water column in that lower region. And uh, yeah, it's it's just a great way to track fish. can be pretty finesse, uh, finesse oriented. A lot of people throwing them on spinning reels. Um, it's not really a presentation that you wanna run on a bait caster. So recommend running the drop shot on a spinning reel. Um, some rods even have a special holder that's under the reel where you can clip that bait on so you don't have um, that extra weight kind of swinging around or the lure swinging around. So um, with that being said, that's gonna be just our normal catch up. Oh, the only other thing I wanna mention, um, if you guys haven't checked out Omnia Fishing yet, um, I'm an ambassador for them, which is why I'm speaking about them, but um, if you enjoy like Tackle Warehouse, an online retailer, um, you should really check out Omnia Fishing. What they're doing is they're trying to take that online tackle experience, something like Tackle Warehouse, and they're trying to formulate it. And they have a ton of a ton of work into defining specific types of uh, bodies of water, and then what lures that you should be throwing or that people are throwing in those specific waters. And um, 
really designed to help anglers better understand or have a better shopping experience in terms of, all right, if I want to fish a lake like Lake Minnetonka or Mille Lacs, what kind of lures really should I be running? And so it'll tell you water clarity, uh, types of fish that are in that lake and everything. So, you know, if you click on like Minnetonka bass fishing, it'll have a list of lures that it recommends. And then within that, which is what I'm a part of, so if you go to uh, the States and you go to Minnesota, you'll see Mark Goodrow there, that's me. And uh, you can actually see my list of my favorite lures. And then you'll see a list where I do, you know, smallmouth fishing on rivers or fishing on clear lakes and kind of what I like to throw. Um, and they have lists from a ton of different ambassadors. And really what that's doing is it helps provide confidence uh, especially the beginner anglers that really haven't developed a solid tackle box that they like to work off of. Um, this is a great way to see, okay, what are guys actually using in my area and in my local lakes and you know, how can I better catch bass or whatever species it is in my local region. So check that out. Uh, if you do, you can go ahead and use my code. It's good for a first time purchase. Um, it's G-O-U-D, as in dog, 15, or sorry, G-O-U-D 20. That gets you 20% off uh, your first purchase. So G-O-U-D 20, two zero. Um, that'll get you 20% off your first purchase there. And then another thing I strongly recommend is going ahead and checking out their uh, membership. Their membership program gets you 10% off on every purchase that you make there and it comes back as an instant gift card so if you spend a hundred bucks there right after you purchase it you'll get a gift card in your uh, email and it'll be a ten dollar gift card for the next time so it's really handy i just actually bought almost a hundred dollars worth of um, gear there with my most recent uh, gift cards that have all kind of added up over the last year or so so anyways something to think about and uh you know, especially when you're making big purchases, rods, something like that. You buy a $200, $300 rod, a reel, um, you know, you can get 20 30 bucks back right away on that with a membership. Um, so definitely check out Omnia Fishing. Uh, great group of guys. They're local here in Minneapolis. It's not, you know, a big corporation or anything like that. It may look like it on the website, but it's a group of uh, five guys working in a warehouse here in Minneapolis. They do have a little shop in Minneapolis uh, in the warehouse where their office is um, but it's a cool place to go I know they've just got a new place and it has a little area for like seminars and things like that so they should be putting on some shows here soon but anyways um, check them out and now we'll get into the main part of the podcast all right kayak safety like I said this is a big deal um, you know everybody says safety first Let's be smart out there. Uh, everybody wants to go out, have a good day in the water, and get home safely. So first, let's, go, let's talk a little bit about life jackets. It's funny, on a podcast recently with ND Yak Angler, um, a lot of people watch his YouTube videos. He absolutely crushes smallmouth up there in northwest uh, Minnesota and North Dakota. Um, but he was just on a podcast, and someone came up with the question, you know, why don't you wear your life jacket? And I don't know, I thought he had a good answer. He basically said the, the rivers I'm fishing are all shallow. A lot of them you see in the videos are only, you know, three, four feet deep in areas. Um, sometimes as shallow as two feet. He said, I'm a good swimmer and, you know, I do it in the summer. And I, he's really confident that, you know, should he flip over, he'll be standing about waist deep in the water and, and isn't too worried about it. Um, he's also obviously been on the river uh, a ton he's used to it he knows a lot of the curves he knows a lot of the trees and limbs that are sticking out um, it's really clear water so it's not hard for him to see sticks or branches or anything like that sticking out from under the water um, so he just said you know there's times when he takes it off and just keeps it on the kayak and he's confident in his abilities you know that should he flip over that he can easily get to safety but with that being said, you know, I really recommend that everybody wears their life jackets. Um, 
especially nowadays with some of the life jackets they have come out with specifically for kayak fishing, um, they're getting really good now. Uh, and if you don't have a specific fishing life jacket, I highly recommend getting one. Essentially, the main difference is that they have a higher back flotation on them. So you don't have flotation all down your lower back. So when you're sitting in your seat, you don't have that weird, uh, you know, foam pushing on you differently. It's it's like you're sitting, uh, especially if you have a good kayak with a good seat, it's like you're sitting at home in a chair or something. It's, it's a great experience. Um, and they have all that foam really high in the back, so it doesn't get in your way. Um, and isn't pushing on you awkwardly, which is why a lot of times kayak chairs in general have kind of a lower back to them a little bit. is so that it leaves room for that flotation and the kayak fishing life jacket to be in the higher part. Um, also, a lot of them are getting really breathable. Um, I've seen some of the Old Town one reason, Old Town uh, Company's life jackets recently, which have some really breathable um, foam kind of up in the front too. So uh, make sure you get a, a good kayak fishing life jacket. When you have a good life jacket, you'll end up just wearing a lot more. If you have a life jacket that you don't like, you'll end up just taking it off, uh, clipping it on somewhere and then you know if you do flip and that boat gets away from you um, you can be in some trouble we hear all the time you know across the country that kayak fishermen die because they didn't have their life jacket it comes out m multiple times a year um, it's not uncommon to run across that kind of situation so just really important to wear one even if you don't think you need one it's also a great example for kids and, and other people getting in the sport to see you wearing that. And there's a lot of, um, you know, if you're into social media and, and things like that, uh, there's a lot of companies that won't repost pictures or use any pictures from fishermen that don't have a life jacket on. I think Kayak Angler Magazine, uh, which is a great magazine, by the way, uh, I don't think they post any pictures of kayak anglers unless they have a life jacket on. So just another reason to wear one. Um, and then just diving deeper in life jackets there, I prefer ones with the actual foam. Um, you know, I, I keep going back and forth. Do I want to go to an inflatable jacket, life jacket or not? You can get those smaller inflatable ones. Uh, Onyx is a good brand that has them for a decent price. Um, but I just keep, keeps crossing my mind that, you know, with an inflatable life jacket, there never is that guarantee that it's going to inflate, you know, um, foam is always going to float. Foam is, foam is a guarantee. It's going to float. Um, uh, it's built in, built in flotation right there with an inflatable life jacket. You are taking some slight risk. It's small risk, but there is potential that when you pull that cord, uh, your life jacket doesn't inflate. And then you could go, you know, there's two types of inflatables. There's the automatic inflatable that when they get wet, they'll blow up. And I'm also worried that, you know, just throwing it in the truck or if I decide to go for a swim or something, forget to take it off or someone pushes me in for fun or something that's going to inflate on me. So I don't really know if I want to go automatic. So I'd lean towards more of a manual inflatable life jacket. But at the same time, uh, sometimes things happen a lot faster than you think they would on the water. Um, or, you know, maybe a boat comes up and potentially is, you know, hits you, right? Uh, people always worry in heavy traffic areas about boats hitting them. Um, you come in these scenarios, you know, for a manual pull, you have to be really thinking. It's another thing to think about in a situation where it's the last thing you really want to think about. So, um, you know, you're on a river fishing and you flip over. Your first instinct probably isn't to pull that cord. It's, you know, how do I get up? How do I, you know, grab my kayak? Where's all my stuff? Um, so for me, you know, I, I stick to the foam life jackets. They're making some really nice ones. Get a kayak fishing one. Has a few pockets in the front. Typically, keep some of your uh, little essentials. Have a whistle on there. I always recommend a whistle. Um, a little uh, specifically for uh, being on the water. You can get one of those little knives. Don't just carry a regular knife hanging from your 
uh, life jacket. I'd uh, specifically get one. They basically have blunt ends on them, so you're not just going to stab yourself. Um, but they have serrated edge on the side, so you can still cut rope or leashes and lanyards, or if you get hung up in something, you should still be able to cut through that, but there's not uh, as much the opportunity to stab yourself with it. Um, so, and then, yeah, it's just a few. The NRS Chinook, Chinook uh, life jacket is probably one of the most popular for kayak fishing. Onyx makes a lot of good life jackets. I've seen Astral here lately makes some good ones. Old Town makes a good life jacket. Um, yeah, I'd say that's a lot of the main players there. Um, so, like I said, first thing, always wear your life jacket on the water. Uh, the only situations where I don't is if it's on kind of a small body of water and it's warm day. I mean, I'm talking, you know, 90 degrees and the water's, you know, 70 degrees or something, 80 degrees, and I feel like going for a swim. <laughs> and so if I'm swimming, I'll, and sometimes I'll even leave it on, but, you know, I might take it off for a little swim or something like that. Um, but otherwise, I'm wearing my life jacket. The second thing is visibility. Um, this is important. Like I said, if you're worried about getting run over by a boat or anything, um, I have actually, I have the red Hobie Outback. Um, I thought long and hard about what color Outback to get. They do have the camo one. They have some other colors. Um, more recently, they have kind of that, you know, lime green. They have kind of a bluish color. Um, but I decided to go with a bright red kayak, and that's because I do do a fair amount of fishing on Lake Minnetonka here, which is a very heavily trafficked lake. Um, and with that being said, you know, I just wanted something that stood out to people that, you know, if they're cruising at 50 miles per hour or something, and they turn that bend and I'm there, that they see me. Um, especially when you get a little bit of chop and everything, or you get sun glare. Um, and I, I drive my in-laws' boats a, a fair amount. And sometimes when there's that sun glare on the water, I mean, it can be very difficult to see a kayak. Um, and a lot of these kayaks are made to blend in. Uh, so if you're fishing, you know, if you're only fishing rivers or, you know, kind of uh, small lakes and ponds or private areas, private ponds, um, you know, going with a stealthy kayak is, is perfectly fine. But if you're on larger lakes and larger bodies of water with bass boats running 60 miles per hour, um, it wouldn't be a bad idea to make sure you have some sort of visibility. And that doesn't necessarily have to be your kayak color. Um, it certainly can. And you know, orange and red uh, are typically two, two colors that stand out the most. Um, you know, especially those blues and camos, they, they really blend into the water, so they can be difficult to see. But you can also go with a flag. Uh, flag's a great idea an orange flag sticking up um, will catch a lot of attention and hopefully uh, that will be noticeable. Another thing to think about is movement. Uh, movement is very, it is a lot easier to see on the water than someone just bobbing, something just bobbing there, not moving. So if you think a boat's even coming near you, a lot of times I'll pick up my paddle and I'll start kind of waving my paddle or, or start paddling. Uh, even with a pedal kayak, you don't get as much movement on a pedal kayak because just your legs moving kind of close to the water, but you get those kayak blades coming out of the water, uh, reaching up in the air. Uh, that, that a lot of times will catch someone's attention. If you start getting really desperate, um, you know, I'll start moving and, and waving the kayak, you know, fully up in the air from, from one side. So, you know, hopefully that gives them a good uh, few feet of attention there to get it. So, but sometimes those boaters just aren't paying attention. So if you can make some movement, um, 
that's a great way some people have. I've, I've seen like uh, reflecting tape on their kayak paddles. So if they're kind of in dusk and dawn times or even nighttime fishing, they have reflecting uh, material on those kayak paddle blades. So the boat that's moving should have lights on it. Um, you hopefully can catch a little of that reflection and, and shine it back at them. And then if you're nighttime fishing in general, you know, make sure you have some lights on, uh, which I'm pretty sure is a requirement. And then, you know, a good headlamp or something so the other boaters can see you. But visibility is really important when you're in those, you know, high traffic areas. Um, and then in the case that, let's say you, something happens, right? You couldn't make it back to your car. You end up having to camp out the night, you know, on the side of a river or camp out on a lake um, and you're lost and search and rescue has to come get you, you know, having a, a big bright kayak or something bright to attract some attention uh, definitely makes it easier for search and rescue to always find you too. So like I said, not a bad idea. Um, if you're worried about that to go with a color that's easier to see for, for people and potentially search and rescue. Um, and then well, one kind of question that went back and forth in my mind a lot before purchasing a red kayak was how does this affect my fishing? Um, if you're a kayak angler, <laughs> you know everything comes back to how do I catch more fish? So that really ends up being the question that we have to ask ourselves. Um, and what I found in my, in my red kayak is that it has had really no change in my fishing at all. Um, and I know people use, I always talk about this a little bit, people use red hooks and things like that. Um, red seems to be a common color on a lot of lures. Uh, fish can't, or, or bass can't really see red, is my understanding, just of how the light is in the color spectrum. Uh, my understanding is after just a foot or so, it, it turns into pretty much a grayish, darkish uh, color in the water. So even though it is a red kayak, what the fish see really isn't a red, uh, bright red color underwater. Um, what they're seeing is kind of a gray color, which is very similar to most kayaks that cast shadows on the water uh, when looking at them from under the water. Uh, most are greens and blues and, and camels and everything like that end up being essentially a grayish blackish blob from underwater. So um, I haven't seen any issue there. I've still had fish, big fish, I'll say, hit lures, you know, a foot away from the kayak as I'm reeling them in. Um, so it really hasn't affected my fishing at all. Um, it ends up being more of a personal preference kind of thing. Unless you're doing hunting, <laughs> um, I'm sure a deer or something like that is going to notice a red kayak more than a camo kayak. Um, but uh, in terms of fishing, it hasn't had any downsides for me at all. So let's move on to something else here. Um, let's talk about what to do, uh, you know, if you do flip. So re-entry is something that's really important to understand and to practice before you go kayak fishing in cold water. And what I can kind of consider cold water is I use the 120 rule, um, which a lot of kayak fishermen have heard of, but I know a lot haven't. Uh, and I saw someone the other day posted something saying the 110 rule, um, which isn't, it, it is the 120 rule. So essentially what that rule is, is if the water temperature plus the air temperature is below 120 degrees, then you better be ready for a potentially hypothermic situation. So with that being said, um, you're looking at, you know, if the water's above 60 degrees and the air temperature is above 60 degrees, then you're probably going to be okay. You're probably not going to run into a serious hypothermic situation when both water temperature and air temperature are 60 degrees. If you fall in, you'll probably be cold. There's no doubt about that, but you can swim pretty comfortably in 60 degree water um, after the initial cold shock. 
for, for a while. Um, when you get out of the water in 60 degree air, um, you might be a little cold, but, but you're not going to die within, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Um, when you start getting below that, let's say the water is 50 degrees and the air is 60 degrees, that only adds up to 110. So you're below that 120 line. So you're in a potentially hypothermic situation. When I was 50 degrees and you fall in a 50 degree water, you're going to be cold. Um, you're going to be really cold. And you better hope that you're getting close to, uh, you're close to your car um, or to a house or something like that where you can get some help um, or that you have enough uh, supplies where you can go change real fast into dry clothes that are in a dry bag or you have some tinder and some firewood, things like that, where you can start a fire pretty quickly. Um, Cause that 50 degree water is gonna sap a lot of energy out of you and it's gonna make you extremely cold right away. Um, it's gonna be difficult to move around and swim around for a while. Obviously we'll get into re-entry here in a second, but hopefully you can get back on top of your kayak. You'll be in 60 degree air, you can get to safety. But even if you're in 60 degree air and you're just in 50 degree water, it's going to be a cold ride back. Um, you also have to think about, is it windy? You know, is that's going to chill you down even more? You know, even if the air temperature is 60, maybe it might feel like it's 50 or it's 45 degrees and you fall into 50 degree water and then you come out into a wind chill, it's around 45 degrees or something. You're, you could go into hypothermia pretty quickly uh, in all wet clothes like that. So understanding that rule um, is important. Uh, like I said, it's really one of those things that you just have to be smart. If you're in a situation where if you fell in the water and you're in a body of water uh, where you can't quickly get back to your car, you wouldn't feel comfortable getting back to your car, you know, in 10 minutes or something, you fall in that water and you don't feel comfortable or yeah, you don't feel comfortable being able to swim in that water temperature for a while. You know, you, you can even dip your hand into it when you get to the lake. If you go, man, that's cold. I do not want to be swimming today. Um, if that's the kind of situation you're in, bring a dry bag. Bring some spare clothes in it. Throw a fire starter in it if you want. Um, go to a smaller lake or, or a smaller pond. Go to one that, you know, has houses on it or, or you know is close to public areas that you can go to um, you know don't go to a huge lake where you're six miles out and you know uh, that's obviously a much more serious situation than just going to your local pond um, and then you know booking it back and it only taking you know five minutes to get your car rather than an hour or two so be just be smart about that, uh, be prepared, have that dry bag with some extra clothes, um, you know, a little extra food, maybe things like that. Uh, people don't realize how important food is at keeping you warm too. Um, we had a tournament and it was, it dropped down under 30, uh, under 30 degrees and I was not able to stay warm and I had to pull over, even though I wanted to keep fishing, you know, we're in a tournament it's only about 11 o'clock. I want to wait a little longer before lunch, but I was just so cold. I just had to go and eat. Uh, I just ate everything I had with me for lunch. And, uh, you know, it really warms you up once you get some food in you. So it's important that digestion system, getting things moving in your body really can warm you up. It's also something when I do camping up here in the boundary waters, if it's a cold night, I'll usually try to eat a cliff bar or something that's... Uh, Got a lot of calories that will really uh, warm up your body as you sleep. So anyways, that's the 120 rule. Um, like I said, bring a dry bag. Wear proper clothes. Um, if you can afford a wetsuit or a dry suit, you know, absolutely take a look at getting one of those. A dry suit is, is probably preferred, but the starting price on a dry suit is around $600 or so. They're really expensive. Um, you can go ahead and get a wetsuit. Uh, make sure it's a, a warmer wetsuit, kind of like you'll see guys doing triathlons and things like that in the water when it's only, you know, ocean water is 45, 50 degrees, something like that. 
in there wearing these wetsuits. Um, like I said, they, they'll obviously allow you to get wet, but they trap that water between uh, you and the suit and it, it ends up keeping it warmer. So you could look at either of those options or, you know, hopefully going out on more of a calm day, you don't have a lot of risk of flipping over. And if you do, you got your dry bag with your stuff and you're not far away from the launch. Um, also practice, um, practice your re-entries. So you don't want to get in a situation where you flip over and you can't re-enter your kayak. So go out, uh, you know, in a good summer day when the water is nice and warm and you feel comfortable and everything. Uh, if you want to do a cold weather one, you know, hey, more power to you. You know, that's probably a better example and a better thing to do. But you know, a lot of people go out with their kayaks. Don't take all your gear. Don't you know? You don't want to worry about losing all your rods and things like that. But go ahead, go out, um, not far offshore, but just to the point where you can't really touch bottom, um, but you're still close to shore, so you can swim in if you need to in case you can't re-enter. Uh, and go ahead and flip your kayak and, and start really figuring out the boundaries of your kayak. You know, there's two different types of stability. There's uh, first stability and there's second stability in kayaks. Um, that second secondary stability is a lot, you know, can be pretty strong in some specific kayaks. In others, you have a pretty good, you know, initial stability. And then that second stability really isn't there. Um, so it's a great time too, to just understand the balance, practice standing up, practice moving around on your kayak a little bit, um, do all that and then Wait till you flip over. A lot of times you'll realize that, you know, you fall out of the kayak before you even actually truly turtle the whole kayak over. Um, but I'd say practice turtling it. Make sure the kayak's upside down in the water. And then practice flipping it over and getting yourself back in. Um, probably the best way to do it is once it's turtled over, you climb on it and you grab the handle on the other side. So you're kind of on sideways, perpendicular, on top, grab the handle across, just lean back, pull the kayak with you. Um, that should flip it over. And then you want to come in again on the side of the kayak. Don't try to lift yourself on. Don't try to push yourself up and get yourself on the kayak. Kind of flutter kick your feet so that they're at like surface level and then slide your belly onto the middle. And then the whole time as you're kind of turning and trying to get back in your seat, try to keep that center of gravity low on the kayak and right in the middle. Um, and that should prevent you from flipping back over. That's kind of a lot of times a trouble that people have. They either try to go straight up into the kayak and that's pushing that one gunnel down um, or they're able to get their bellies on, but then they don't keep their center of gravity as they're adjusting and, and turning over. So practice that. You really should do that before you do any cold water fishing. Um, you need to make sure you're confident and comfortable uh, getting back in your kayak pretty quickly. Um, and maybe it's not much of an issue for a younger athletic guy, but there's a lot of, you know, a lot of kayak fishermen out there that are older guys or people that struggle, you know, uh, to move around. And so it's important to, to be able to do that and get back in your kayak. Um, also another thing, and this was an interesting topic, um, I heard on another podcast too, is that someone was, doesn't run, uh, he doesn't run any leashes on any of his equipment. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting to hear. You know, a lot of guys will have some rod leashes, some kayak paddle leashes, maybe a leash for your pedal drive, um, you know, your pliers, you know, this and that, everything's on a leash, right? So someone could have 10, 20 leashes on their kayak. They got anchor line, they got this and that. Um, and, you know, I was kind of like, well, this is interesting that he doesn't run any leashes. And I, I personally, I want to run one leash on my kayak and that's for my catch board uh, to measure fish because the thing's an absolute anchor. I haven't ever had it go over the side, but I know if I flip, that thing is it's definitely sinking uh, like a rock. So I do have one there. Um, 
and then you know I'm kind of risking it on my rods I'm really hoping that I don't flip like I said I always recommend people fall out of the kayak before flipping their whole kayak and losing all their gear um, but uh, that's the only leash I have I have one leash on the kayak other than that I have some of those on like my pliers and things it's one of those retractable leashes which is really nice um, and I'll keep them like on my life jacket I'll have a little retractable leash but it's always when it's not in use, it's tight and close to my life jacket or tight and close to the kayak. So I take a look at those retractable leashes. Um, but he doesn't use any leashes because he got in a situation where he was on a river. He ended up flipping and he ended up getting tangled up in his leashes. And uh, hearing him talk about it, he basically was saying he thought he was going to die. Um, yeah, he was flipped upside down and he had like two leashes that were preventing him from being able to get back up and get some air and uh he did have one of those knives on his life jacket and he's actually cut the leash off and he was able to escape which um is pretty good you know in that kind of situation he's stuck underwater gasping for breath uh to think about grab your knife cut your leash and get out of there uh is pretty impressive so uh, that's that's great for him and you know it just goes to show you that Yes, leashes are nice. Yes, leashes will prevent you from losing a lot of gear if you turtle, but you just have to be aware of where those leashes are, how loose those leashes are, what's the chances that you could get tied up in any of those lines should you flip over. Um, you know, be very important. If you're running a lot of leashes, you definitely should have a knife on your life jacket. That should be one of your first purchases if you do have a leash, uh, a lot of leashes, have a knife ready. And then also people just need to know their limits. Um, be smart. Uh, let people know your plan. This is another really important thing. Some people just run off and, you know, do a lot of kayak fishing by themselves. I know I do. And uh, they don't let anybody really know where they're going uh, or what their plan is. They just, they just take off for the day, right? But especially on longer trips, it's really important to try to let someone know. Or if the weather is, is a little sketchy that day or you have some big rollers or heavily traffic lake, it's really important to let, let someone know. Um, and I also always recommend, can you go with a buddy? You know, can you find someone to go with you? Uh, there's power in having numbers there and just safety in numbers and having someone else checking up on you here and there uh, to make sure you're, you're safe. So go with a buddy, be aware of your situation, uh, check the weather before you go out and, and be smart about it. There's a ton of guys that, um, you know, will go in any weather there is. And I don't blame them. You know, you don't get a ton of time to go fishing. You know, I'm more of a weekend warrior. So you know, hopefully the weather's nice on the weekends. If it's not, hopefully I can still get out anyways. But, you know, if it's really bad weather, uh, try to find a protected area or go to a different lake or find, you know, find another way to do it. Or maybe fish from the bank if you can, uh, instead of even going out in your kayak. But be smart about it. Check that weather um, and find areas uh that you can be safer on that, that don't have that as much risk, you know, and that's for both lakes and rivers. Um, you know, if you're on a big lake with big uh, waves coming to one side, the other side's probably not that bad. It probably has a windbreak or there might be a bay off that large lake that's protected and really doesn't have as much uh, water moving. Or if you're on a river, um, you know, you probably end up in circumstances where, you know, the water level is really high and now the water's running really fast. In that situation, can you find, you know, a, a lake close by or can you find a back eddy areas, um, you know, of that river to fish instead uh, of actually floating that river? Because a fast river can be pretty dangerous. Um, keep your phone in a waterproof bag, have your phone ready, have it charged up. Um, Make sure it's there so you can contact uh, anybody in case you get in a situation. If you can, bring a first aid kit. And some of these are a little for longer. You know, it's not for your quick, you know, two to four hour local lake. But um, 
having a first aid kit's not a bad idea. Uh, bringing sunglasses or eye protection. Uh, one of the things that has recently started worrying me more is uh, I've been hearing about guys, you know, with lures flinging back at their faces. And I'm usually pretty good at that. And I've been lucky to be able to dodge every lure that's ever kind of shot back at me. Um, but when you're in a remote situation or you're camping for multiple days, and what kind of comes to my mind is boundary waters uh, in Minnesota, where you're, you're away from everything. You may be a few days away from help. Um, you know, that's the last thing you need is, is an eye injury um, and trying to, you know, pack out or, or kayak out of a situation like that with, you know, a lure in your face. So it's always a great idea to have sunglasses or eye protection, making sure that, uh, protect your vision there uh, another thing is make sure you're seen during hunting season um, this is another one that's that's important around here me locally uh, i was floating a river last year and i was starting to hear a lot of uh, shooting going on and there are de definitely multiple times where i passed you know i floated by hunters on the bank as they were waiting for ducks to come through um, so it's important that they see you uh, when they're out hunting. Um, I mean, you hear, unfortunately, about those hunting accidents every year. Um, and so that, that, there's my other advantage of a red kayak is that hopefully uh, hunters won't, won't mistake you for anything. Um, and so it's important to be seen during that time. I actually went out this winter and it's still hunting season and, uh, I stopped at the gas station on the way out and I bought an orange hat, um, orange beanie hat to wear. It was like $5 at the gas station. And uh, I wore that the whole time when it was, I was fishing that day. Um, it looked a little ridiculous, but like I said, if they see that, hopefully they see that little bit of orange. If they, you know, see some movement in the trees, it was a lot of walking and waiting along the side of the river. So and the rest of my waders and everything is camouflage. So I didn't want to look like, you know, a dark brown camouflage animal walking along the shoreline of the river uh, and accidentally get shot. So I went ahead and picked up an orange hat from the gas station on the way out just to make sure I was, I was better seen during hunting season. Uh, another thing, bring a, a bail device. So with these, uh, whether you're in a sitting kayak or sit on top kayak, I, I don't care. Uh, you should have a way to bail water out of your kayak. You can get specific ones for kayaks that are kind of almost like water guns. They'll suck the water out and shoot it out the side, or you can go with something as simple as a sponge. But, um, if you've ever had a leak in a sit on top kayak, um, it's something that you don't typically notice until it's a fair amount of water is filled up. And then once it has filled up, your kayak becomes very unstable. Um, and so it's, it's important to be able to have a water bailing device to get that water out of your kayak, especially, like I said, if you're far offshore or anything like that. You should have something to bail that water out. And for a sitting kayak, you'll know about that leak a little faster because um, your, your feet and your butt will be right in it. Um, but you need to figure out, you need to have a way to get that water out of your kayak before you continue on. And then um, another thing is, is make sure you don't lose your propulsion device. Um, don't lose your kayak or your paddle. Um, so when you fall in, uh, sometimes, a, a lot of times when they find uh, victims or people that have passed, uh, passed away while kayak fishing, they find them pretty far separated from the kayak and paddle. Um, it doesn't really matter one or, I mean, it's most important to have your kayak with you rather than the paddle, but preferably you have both. Um, you know, when, when you flip, hopefully you're able to hold on to your kayak while you flip. You, you don't want to lose, um, that kayak, if you're in big open water, uh, you know, that's your main flotation device. If the water's comfortable and everything, all right, you hopefully you have your life jacket on, you'll float in the water and maybe someone will come by or eventually, eventually float to shore. Um, 
but preferably if you want to self-rescue, um, you want to make sure if you flip that you're, you're getting right back to your kayak and you're getting your paddle. So you have your propulsion and your boat. Um, so just things to, things to think about. Um, I would say, however, don't ever leash yourself to your kayak. You know, I've, I've heard of people talk about doing that where, oh, I'll tie myself to the kayaks. If I flip over, the kayak can't get away from me. Uh, not really a great idea. There's situations where you don't want, you don't want your kayak weighing you down or, or something like that. And you'll need to be able to get away from your kayak. So I wouldn't say leash yourself, but just if you're, if you're about to flip, make sure you grab that kayak or you chase that down right away if you do flip over um, and then a kayak uh, paddle leash isn't a bad idea i would just have the leash be leashing forward so it's not a leash that could be around you or your feet to really trap you um, try to think about where that leash is connected to on your kayak and um, make sure it's not able to really tie you up if you did flip over and that's what i try to do with all all leashes um, if you're putting them on your kayak try to put them in areas where they can't even reach really your main cockpit until they're at like the end of their uh, of their length so you don't have a bunch of leashes being able to be in your cockpit and all tangled up but that's uh that's my kayak fishing safety podcast i think that's that covers most of it um like I said, wear a life jacket. That's kind of number one. That that should keep you safe pretty much no matter what. Um, make sure you're visible on the water. You don't want to get run over. And if something does happen, you want people to be able to see you so they can help you or rescue you. Um, make sure you know how to do a re-entry. Um, be able to get back up on that kayak should you accidentally flip over. Uh, want to get back in there. And let people know your plan and make people aware uh, or bring buddy with you. Anyways, that's all I got today, guys. I hope you have a great time here out on the water soon. Here in Minnesota, the water is breaking up. And uh, I wait till May for all the good fishing openers. But you can go after some panfish and stuff like that here soon. But it'll be good to get on the water and get some warm days. Anyways, hope you guys have a good one. Thanks again for tuning in, and I will catch you on the next one. All right, you guys, take it easy. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Boundless Kayak Fishing Podcast. Enjoy your time on the water.